Welcome in to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, uh, this week, we go back to kind of a, an expose format. Uh, we go into the, the life of, of somebody who's a part of the Rick and Bubba family. Uh, today, Bubba, we will dare to unpack uh, the, the person of Scott the Rock Garoski. We have Scott Garoski with us. He's a friend of the show. Uh, recently has done a, a segment for us called What's Eating Scott Garoski? Yes. Uh, so, Scott, welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is uh, you know a little standalone action, a little long form. Uh, we, we, we go and talk with someone, kind of delve in. Anything that uh, you, know, you don't want to talk about, you just simply say, I don't want to talk about that. And we continue to ask you about it anyway. Sure. So just be uh, so. Let, let's uh, and Rick. We want to remind Scott to try to, to because yeah. uh, Scott has such a deep voice. Yes. I don't know that it'll clear the band pass right. of the of the podcast is trying to reproduce our voice. <laughs> so Scott has an extremely deep voice. So if you're not hearing part of it, you know it's probably on your end. Right. You just need to pump the bass up. Right. And uh, and, and that's the reason why those of you that are watching on YouTube, we actually have uh, what Scott's saying come across the bottom. Close. <laughs> Catching. <laughs> so you know, I don't even know that Bub. I don't even know that Bubba knows this. I know we've talked about it. I can't remember, but you actually were listening to the show long before we knew each other. I'm talking. About, you were one of those, and those of you that they're not from the part of the world where we all grew up or or, or, or spent time or the show started in Alabama. That we started in a smaller town that was about an hour north. Of Birmingham, and so in the early days, if you were listening to the show, you were you were part of a very small group of people. It's almost like a little cult that we had. Somebody, you know, like you almost got to say, "Have you heard this show?" Sure. And and you discovered the show how? So uh, yeah, I was back in the days of Sand Mountain Sam. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, Emma Sampson. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. A good friend of mine is driving down the road, and he calls me and says, "Hey," he said, "There's these guys that have a radio show," and he said they literally. Talk exactly like you do. <laughs> they, they say the same things. They have the same quirks. They're they're really funny guys. I think you'll like like listen to them. I said, yeah, man, great. You know how do I get to them? And I, that's how I tuned in. So I mean, that was way, way, way back. You guys were really, I mean, honestly, just getting started. So for a long time, I was just a listener. You know. Yeah. I, see, I didn't know that until you and I kind of became friends. I actually called the show one time. What? Yes, I called the show back when Don Juan was on the show. He actually asked for the phone. Yeah, I can't remember what the subject was, but I did. I mean, that was oh my gosh, fifteen, twenty years. Did ago. you get on? I did, and and I because we were up the road for a ways, the the reception in Birmingham was very limited to the extreme northeast part of town. It was sketchy. Uh, yeah, was. you just you had to catch a good morning to yeah. even be able to hear the That's show. That's right. That's right. So you you started listening then, and then the show comes to Birmingham, mm-hmm. and um, and. Uh, and, and I'm just going through your association with the show. We'll get into kind of your, your story a little bit too. But, but so you and I, if I remember right, we were introduced to each other and our wives were introduced through Michael Adler. Is that's, that accurate? That's right. But, but I was the uh, big love whisperer. Oh, that's at, right. At Chase Mountain. That's that, but that, that's, when I worked the nursery, I, I was one, about of, that. I was one right. of three people in the entire church of 4,000. That could keep him from going crazy on Sunday mornings. I forgot all so about that. He, I was he, always brought yeah. in to handle Big Love yeah. on, on us Sunday mornings. I remember that. <laughs> and yeah, it, it must have been your your deep tone. I don't it know must what have it, been. Or I, me squeezing his legs so hard he couldn't, couldn't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, one of those. And, and you're you're a pretty big guy, so you were probably intimidating yeah. to a little bitty tight like. Well, that. yeah, I think he, you know, like a lot of kids, bizarrely, when when somebody actually acts authoritative, it means business. They usually do better. Oh, uh, he was a young. He, he was. I mean, he's toddler, right? Yeah, he's yeah. taller. We we, but yeah, I, it was funny. Some kids just I took to, and I took to him. So, kind of started that with that. But yeah, Adler had us overall for dinner one night and made that connection, and that's how uh, you and I met. And then obviously you introduced me to Bubba. Yeah. So here's what's weird about that. It's very similar to what the guy told you about the show. So Michael Adler, who is uh, our very own Eddie Van Adler's dad, who, who's been on the show many times. So we all went to the same church, and he's the worship leader. And we're sitting there one night. I don't remember where it was. We were having dinner or whatever. And he said, "I have to introduce you to Scott Garoski." And I'm like, okay, why, why so animate about that? He said, you two, it's, it's a crime that y'all are not friends. He said, I'm telling you. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, out there, there's people around both of you that really probably don't know what to do with you. But you guys, if I introduce y'all for 10 minutes, he goes, y'all will instantly click and shut everybody out. And, uh, and then he did it. He was right. Yeah, <laughs> so, and and you know right. how I think Rick told me that he had met you and I don't remember exactly which quarterback you used the analogy of Rick, but you you said I think I think it was, uh, and you may correct me, Scott. He said I met the guy who backs up Reggie Slack at Auburn, and I said, uh, is it the guy with a strange name that starts with a V or a G? And you said it's the G one. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It wasn't that right. Did I have the error. Yeah, right? that, yeah. that's the right error. Yeah. Yeah. So so you you played uh, every sport in the world, I guess, if if you go I, back to your to your childhood. Yeah, growing up I did, sure did. And was in the band at one time we learned. I, I was. And you talked about that on the show. And played piano. Mm. Didn't have a choice, but Right. Uh, yeah. So you know, so don't act like all these were my decisions. <laughs> 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 you know, I did I did participate. Yeah. Well, I was just saying, did you did you once you got to where you could make the piano decision on your own, I noticed you didn't stick with it. Oh, I was done the next day. Okay, yeah. That, once it was your call. Yes. But Scott, that's quite a transition going from band to quarterback at a at a fairly big school in Birmingham, Alabama. Well it, it was a bizarre story how you end up having to march with the band briefly. Yes. So we moved from – I grew up in the western part of Birmingham in, in Hueytown, the Alabama gang. Right. Very fortunate. I lived out there until I was 15. And so we had a junior high school, seven through nine. Well, in October, November of that year, we moved to Vestavia High School. So now I go from the oldest grade, ninth grade, to now I'm the youngest freshman. In a big school. And my, my mom and dad were like, yeah, we'll certainly just – transition you out of the band because that's what we did. Well, we get there and the, the guidance counselor was like, no, I mean, that's a, that's a credit. I mean, we can't just stop doing it. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, so this is true. I mean, I, I was in, I was terrible <clears throat> because I was never planned on playing beyond ninth grade. It was just something we did. Yeah. So, they, so had now, a, they had a band. With, would they call that what, junior high? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm throwing with real musicians or people who aspire to be real musicians, and I'm the guy with their – and what instrument was it? It was drums. I, okay. But I, I mean, I, okay. I was demoted to cowbell very soon. Right. I mean, here's, I mean, they were really good players. Well, I, 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 it's just a different group, okay? And I'm playing three sports, and they overlap. Football season's over, praise God. So <laughs> we're in basketball, but but I, I keep shop class is right across from the man room. Yeah. So I have this really good friend of mine who I formed to Vestavia, he, he always wanted to walk me to class because I didn't know where I was going. I'm like, no, no, I'm going there. Oh, you go to shop. I thought, 
That's exactly where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) So I pulled it off to the extent I even missed the final exam for a baseball game. Okay, we had a baseball game. Now, you know my coach, Coach Dunn. Oh, buddy. So I tell my dad, as we call him Iron Mike, I said, hey, I said, we've got a conflict here. I've got my final exam, which is a concert for the band, and I've got a baseball game. I I need you to call school. And he says, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Mm. You just figure it out. So I just lied. So I just told the band director, I said, hey, my brother's getting a scholarship to Sanford, which was true. Okay. They're having a dinner for him, which is not true. Right. And I've got to go to that dinner. And it was supposed to be an F. So I go to the baseball game, and the next morning in the announcements, I don't know if I struck out five times, whatever, I made the announcements for the Uh-oh. baseball game. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Oh boy! And the guy at the band was like, he was the Viet Cong of band guys. He was just, <laughs> he was, he was horrific. He was, he was, he was very serious. He was it. awesome, but he was, he was very serious. I thought, well, I, I just failed to band. him. To him, I have failed band. Right. So he never said a word to me about that. Never, ever. He knew exactly what was going on. But I think this is why. I didn't realize we had to play for graduation. In our in in marching uniforms. Uh oh. Okay. So. <laughs> If we get past the boots that I could barely get on, right. okay, and the pants, you've got this cowboy hat, <laughs> oh boy. okay, oh. with tassels hanging off. Oh of it, right? my gosh! Oh <laughs> and, my goodness! Uh, yeah. We come rolling out, and that's back when you graduated in the football stadium. Oh yeah. So I'm thinking, well, I, I just kind of tilted the cowboy hat down down to the right because I thought from that distance, none of the seniors would see me. I knew some of the seniors. I, I played ball with some of them. Right. I didn't anticipate them marching past us to go up there. And I hear this mumbling, and I hear people saying, Garoski, Garoski. And somebody goes, that's Garoski. And I look up, and they just went nuts. I bet they So the entire graduation, nobody's paying attention. They're all pointing at me, and I'm just tipping them the hat. (laughs) Down there hitting that snare drum, you know. (laughs) Yep. And I walked it out, and that's the last last of my my band days. So what grade was that? That was ninth grade. Oh, gosh. At that time, you were playing baseball. Yeah. Now, did you did you play in the paint? Did you play basketball? I did. I played. I, I was a I was a pretty decent player. Yeah, I played. I played the played the four spot in, in the basketball, and um, really, really, really enjoyed basketball. I really did. So, but but it was football. You know, when I think about you know now that we've gotten to know each other and we've been you know the guys. It, to me, even though you definitely have the football mentality, but you have that same mentality <laughs> in the way you approach baseball. And now you're telling me how much you love love basketball, so uh, we'll we'll come back. We'll talk more about it. But it was actually football that you took the next step in. And I know, I mean, you know, saying it on your behalf, that you probably had the opportunity to play other sports in college as well. Uh, but you made the choice for football, which honestly, and we all talk about this. Let's just be real. That's the hardest road, as far as I'm not talking about skill of game or right. anything like that. I'm talking about just what what college football demands from you right. physically right. versus basketball and baseball. And, and you, you, you took football and, and said, that's where I'm going to the next level. So I want to unpack that, and we'll talk about that a little bit when we come back. When Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, we're back. We're doing a little expose on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Scott Garoski, uh, who has, as you said, Bubba, has a, a very exciting new segment on the big show during the week and what's eating Scott Garoski. Um, Scott struggles to be straightforward and tell you how he really feels about things. Right, but he's breaking through his shell. Yeah, so we, we were talking about you You played uh, sports, you know, as a kid, like a lot of us did, and you you, you really were, were gifted at, at, at all three uh, sports. 
but then it came time for college, and you were playing quarterback right. at, at the high school. Uh, you were, I assume, in the pitching rotation on baseball. Did you pitch or did you play position in baseball? Well, I actually tore my arm up as a kid, shockingly, yeah. back in those days. Oh, yeah. We yes. threw 200 pitches a week. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, so by, by 13, I had about ran that thing out. Yeah. It didn't really hurt to throw a football, but I really couldn't pitch. So I, I played, I actually played middle infield in high school. Did and, you really? And, yeah. I would have put you over to one back. Well, I was there until we needed a little help in the middle, and I was the best option. I wasn't probably a shortstop, but that's where I ended up having to play my senior year. And you played in uh, one of the best baseball programs that our state has ever known, uh, and for a legend mm. uh, who also helped with the football team. So you got sure. to experience him in, in two places, Sammy Dunn. And uh, and I know that that, that program uh, and, and his legacy in your life has been uh, profound. So and and then you played basketball as well. Why why football? Why what, what made you click there? Well, honestly, my goal in life, I I, I didn't have a lot of academic goals, what? but athletically, my goal was I wanted to have a scholarship offer in all three sports. That was my goal as a child. I wanted to be able to have an option to play any sport I wanted to play in, in college. I that that happened in football and baseball. I had lots of opportunities more than I've ever than I would have ever dreamed honestly in football and baseball basketball I, I could have played college basketball at a small mm-hmm. level I was not a division one college okay. basketball player I got you okay. um so now, who, who did you get offers from in football well I, I, I got offers from um well, I mean you know not to be Uncle Rico I mean I probably had <laughs> 20 I mean I, I ended up narrowing it down because I because I play basketball yeah um these official visits get complicated and long yeah, yeah. They do. yeah and I didn't want to miss a lot of basketball so I narrowed it down to Alabama um, Auburn and Florida State those are the three that's schools th- that's three pretty pretty big schools to get offers from yeah Scott. they, that's they were huge. they were in do you Florida keep a scrapbook with all that in I it? do actually it's pretty cool to look <laughs> yeah. at because yeah. those coaches come to your house and my my, oh, yeah. my brother loved that you uh, know you got fun. all those guys there but uh, Florida State, you know, Dion was a sophomore at that time. They were on the rise, and, yeah. and um, Alabama's obviously Alabama. Auburn, which is where I ended up going, I told everybody, I said, you know, they they were not far transitioned out of the wishbone. Right. And I was the right. furthest thing from a wishbone quarterback. I was just a chunker. I told people when they told me they were going to throw it 40 times a game, I didn't know they were including warm-ups. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, never really, they never really made that West Coast transition. Right. Uh, so and from, the high school you played at didn't do a lot of that either. No, we didn't throw around a lot of high school either. We, uh, yeah. There was one game in high school, my junior year, I think I was – I was uh, two for three for 110 yards, two touchdowns. <laughs> so You made it count. Exactly. So, so I mean, you know, I could not have asked for more opportunities. I mean, honestly. Uh, I had every opportunity in the world I could, I could want. And back then, they at least sold the fact you could play both. I mean, for Florida State was an independent school. And back then, Dion, if you remember, played football, also played for the New York Yankees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was, so you could do that. The problem that nobody really wanted to let you in on, though, is if you're a quarterback, spring training is pretty important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's they don't It's, out it's hard that. to break out of that. So I was able to play both, but not at the same time. Mm. So uh, I, and, How does the baseball coach work around that? Well, I, that's what I'm saying. It was, when, it was only after I left football that I went and, and, oh, I see what and, you're saying. and played baseball and, yeah, I and got you. tried to yeah, play. I got so. you. You couldn't do them both at the same time? No, not if not. So when did you decide to hang up the football cleats? Did you just did you see that you were not going to get the playing time you wanted? And Yeah, I mean, it kind of hung up on me. The sport's a lot different today than it was then. Um, 
you know, if you remember Tommy Hodson from LSU, right. he was kind of – he was the example. Everybody used the quintessential example of why you don't play freshman quarterbacks. It's a big step from high school to, yeah. the, to the SEC. And so all, all quarterbacks were redshirted. Tommy wasn't, and by the time he was a senior, he had kind of digressed, people thought. So he was kind of the poster child for why you redshirt quarterbacks. I had, I had not ever had failure in my life on the athletic field. I'd had bad games, but I just – Kept moving I, I succeeded in what I did. Well, all of a sudden you go down to school and you're out playing for one year. You don't play at all. Mm-hmm. And I didn't handle it well. I just was immature. I didn't handle it well. I, I really believed that I was letting people down by not being on the field. So the pressure I started putting on myself, being on the team didn't mean a whole lot to me. I wasn't there to get a jersey. I was there to play. Right. And I was there to play the next level in my mind. It was it was this is just a stepping stone. And so as um, – there were lots of things that worked out that God worked through now in my life, I can see, to help orchestrate me not moving that forward. Not the least of which, but I think they felt like they had a better quarterback than me. Um, you always want to leave sports on your terms. I didn't have that chance, and that really bothered me for a lot, a lot of my life, that I really wanted to be able to say this or that. I had injuries, and that was a convenient excuse, for, mm-hmm. but that's not the fact. I did enter baseball beat up and banged up, and what got me out of baseball was some decisions that needed to be made where I needed to have multiple surgeries right now to continue. And honestly, my uh, attitude and work ethic were not where they needed to be in my mind. And I was like, okay, it's just time to, to get a degree and move on. But I, I really, it's the hardest and worst transition I've ever made in my life getting out of sports. Really. Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, people don't, Full, who haven't done that don't realize, and, I, and we've all been through it on some different level. Obviously, you guys were a lot further than I were that I went. But um, it, it's kind of tough when you get in that habit of being on a team and playing and competing, and, and then all of a sudden you don't. It, it, it's really a tough transition. And Peyton Manning said this the last year he was with the Broncos. You know, he was, he was sitting on the bench, and he came in because somebody got hurt. And he said, the thing I learned this year is how to be a teammate, which he said was very difficult. I was not a good teammate. I love teammates. I just didn't want to be one. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the guy. And uh, I had to learn a lot to that. I just didn't handle it very well, honestly. I didn't do things well. And as I found out later, I'm not sure my body was ever built for it. I mean, I've had lots of problems physically. Yeah, still to this I, day. I yeah. mean, that I don't think I would have ever made it very far because I just don't think I would have ever sustained it. But it was a very tough, difficult time in my life for sure. A lot of growing up, and it really took decades, literally after that, to really kind of work myself through it because I felt like I'd let so many people down by not being – a lot of people show up down at these schools, especially in SEC, and you can see in their eyes the first day they put pads on, they don't need to be there. Right. It's just it's just over their head. Right. I never felt that way. I felt very relaxed. I felt like I could compete. I did compete. Um, it felt comfortable to me, uh, both baseball and football, both both sports. I felt like this is not not not, not a big step. But so for it not to happen the way you dream it as a kid, right? But I'd never had to face uh, adversity like that. I'd always, uh, I think, playing through some stuff had probably hurt me too. I wasn't completely well, but well enough to compete for sure. And and so I learned a lot, and and things have changed a lot today. And um, I wouldn't be where I am. And that's really not my story anymore. That that used to yeah. be my story, but it's not my identity, really, and it's not that. And I had I had to learn that as well. Well, how's about say? Don't you think that was one of the things you were being taught? This is not your identity. Yeah, that's a tough lesson though, when it's only been your identity. No, and that's no, it. No, that's, I, that's a tough I, lesson. I completely 
understand. And they were weren't there were moments you know talked about this where you thought too, well this is it, this is this because you you touched on it and I, and I tell this all the time. I even having son who played and all this, the biggest thing is you just nailed it. When you get here, you're going to know pretty quick whether you can compete or not. And if it's if you know this is you, the, hey, just because I was really good at high school doesn't mean I can compete at this level. Right. Because everybody out here was good in high school. Right. You know, and you'll know pretty quick. So you had kind of overcome, which I agree with you, is the biggest step. Can I play with these people? Right. So you kind of overcame that, didn't didn't see that. And now you think, well, then it's just like everything I've ever done. Exactly. Uh, but now I'll just walk through the steps I always walk through. Yeah. And 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 you really got close to where they were saying, Garasi, this is going to be your opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and then talk about what happened. Well, I mean, it's an interesting story. Uh, we had a uh, my, my true freshman year. We had a quarterback get in some trouble and had to sit. And I was already redshirted, but I got called in. I was actually out. Uh, not at not on, I was on campus, but I wasn't at the um, where I was with the players because I wasn't going to dress. We were playing. Uh, it was Mississippi State. So I got called into a meeting with two other quarterbacks. None of us are. None of us have played. Well, um, Reggie had. I guess the year before that. It was me and another, another guy older than me. And we get this game plan of, hey, our starting quarterback's going to be out. And here's the game plan. Who was that, dancer? It was Jeff uh, Berger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had and, to uh, see it because of the hunting trip. Yeah. I, I, there were lots of burger stores. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one set, set him out this time. But, but uh, Jeff, and Jeff helped me a lot down there as a quarterback. But, it, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. I go from a week of preparation where I'm not I'm not preparing because I'm redshirted mm-hmm. to a conversation of there's a chance um, that you're going to be playing tomorrow, okay? If if things don't go the way we wanted to go early, and I I I honestly don't know that 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 Reggie was on their radar or not for the future, but he had a fantastic football game, and I think that kind of set the table for him and gave them a lot of confidence in him. Um, Moving forward, and so that began kind of began this um, journey that I went on. Got you know, got knocked out a few times. Just had some bad breaks, but you start looking back and you realize they really weren't breaks. It was just, it was just what was what was being done. I remember going to speak at a church, and I left that church humiliated because I thought, God, how in the world can you work through a backup quarterback? Right. You know, I, yeah. it, would, it would always be an Alabama and Auburn thing. They, they'd send this player, yeah. Auburn sent a player. And I just remember saying, you know, God, you need to just do whatever you need to do in my life to keep me where I need to be. And, buddy, that was kind of the beginning of the end as far as athletics because it was a, a sure enough God, an idol, and an identifier to me. And I look back on my life now, and no one knows that I played sports or cares, and it's not ever really been my identifier. It's just what I identified with at that time of my life. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk more about that. We'll kind of – I want to I walk into the – the story of, of where things change for you spiritually uh, and then talk about what you do uh, for a living uh, and some of the things that you, you've been through with that too when we come back. More with Scott Garoski when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, you know small businesses. We, we run a, a business here, and a lot of times HR issues, can <laughs> they can really be a handful. And, and if you're out there right now and you're saying, all right, Wrongful termination suits around every corner, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. Oh, my goodness. We need an HR manager. Well, let me go ahead and just tell you that right up front. HR managers do not come cheap. No. Uh, we're not talk- a good one. If you ain't got $70,000 to get started, 
uh, it, you're not ready, but you're thinking, but I still need it. I got it. That's where Bambi comes in. B-A-M-B-E-E, created specifically for small businesses. This is going to, for some of you, this is going to be the turnaround today. You get a dedicated HR manager who crafts HR policy, uh, maintains your compliance, and they do all this for $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from the biggest liability at your business to your strongest strength. Uh, your dedicated HR manager will be available to you by phone, email, real-time chat. Hey, I need to bring somebody on. They help you. I need to terminate somebody. They help you. They customize your policies to fit your specific business, and they'll help you manage your employees day by day as well, all for just $99 a month. Now, a lot of you may be worried about contracts month to month. You can do this month to month. No hidden fees. You can cancel anytime you want to. So you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend a lot of time with HR compliance. So let them handle this, okay? And I, we're going to get you a free HR audit today. Just go to Bambi.com slash Rick and Bubba, uh, spell out the word and, right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi, B-A-B-E-E.com slash Rick and Bubba, and uh, they'll get you all the information that you need. All right, back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, Scott Garoski. So we, we're talking about your story and uh, you've heard Scott on the show. He's been appearing on and off for years uh, and uh, and has been a, a friend of the show for a long time. So the athletic career, and, and like a lot of us as kids, we think, uh, I, I remember being a kid, all right, there's three things I care about. I care about uh, football, I care yeah. about being on the radio, and I care about music. Anything else I'm really not interested in. <laughs> and uh, and, and those are, that's the path you'll work. And you always start, for some reason, thinking it's going to be athletic right. uh, because we dream of that as, as we're kids. And I went through that, too. And that moment when you realize, all right, this is not the path. Um, so you're done with sports, um, and, and, and here you are. You're a young man. Uh, I assume at this time, like a lot of us, you would have called yourself a Christian, right? I mean, there's, sure. there's no doubt. I no. mean, right. the, it was part of the culture. Your right. parents got you to church and, and, and all this. And um, so at, at, uh, tell us what happens with your life next. Well, I would be I would be remiss not to back up a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> so, the the most impactful thing that's ever happened in my life. Yes. Is uh, my father was in a car accident when I was eleven, and um, he was paralyzed from his chest down, complete spinal cord break. That'll be forty two years in October. Mm. That's been forty two years in October. Will be. And to say that that doesn't impact every part of your life spiritually, emotionally, and everything else would, would be a fallacy. So while I'm doing these sports, that also becomes kind of this refuge for me. Okay, mm-hmm. I, just needed to, I just needed to be over here doing these things because I was seeing an unbelievable struggle with, with my, our family. And so um, also, too, having an understanding of who God really is at that age, seeing that was uh, difficult yeah. because we were surrounded by incredibly – incredibly well-intended people who love Jesus but gave some really terrible advice, mm. you know, about uh, not really recognizing God's sovereignty, not really recognizing what God planned being much larger than mm-hmm. than us. Right. And I was actually, actually about a week or so ago, I was writing a letter to a couple that's having a really difficult time, and I was talking about this, and I said, you know, I said, God did not make an example out of our family. I had to learn that God made us to be an example. There you go. And that's not always a good example. And it's okay, it's okay for Christians to be a bad example mm-hmm. because people are going to learn from this all the time. There's, there's no perfect way to do this. It's just day by day. 
So I'm watching my family, my mother and dad especially, just grind through life. I mean, really grind through it and, and suffer, not, not mean suffer. And there's a difference in, in my view of trials and suffering. I think it's different in the Bible and I think it's different in real life. So I learned a lot. And so as I got transitioning or as I transitioned out of, out of college and got married, um, I, wanted, I, I still had a, a tremendous, uh, I felt like I did anyway, work ethic. I'd seen my parents endure and excel. I wanted to have that kind of family, that kind of marriage, which, which God has blessed me with and I had. But I was fortunate enough, too, at that time to run across another guy in my life, Wayne Myrick, who was the first person I'd met other than coaches that just called me for what I was. Yeah. You know, I, I was the guy who sit in the room and convinced you lots of things. He just says, no, you're really not very good yet. And I, I remember turning down – he had hired me, and I, not, not long before I got married – I mean, I'm 23, four years, 23 years old. A guy offered me double what he was paying me to do something else. And I just remember thinking, no, this is the guy that I'm going to hitch my wagon to because I believed in who he was. He was a very godly man and a hard worker, and he knew who I was. He knew that I was just green and ignorant. And um, we became business partners and started a company in 1993 that's uh, – you know, still here today. And tell them what the company does. So we are a manager of design and construction, uh, commercial design and construction, and we specialize in, in churches uh, throughout the country. And we do that in both design, construction, and consulting all throughout the country, from California to West Palm Beach uh, and most places in between there. So it's been an unbelievable thing to go to work every day and, and know that we're doing things that have impact beyond my life. Uh, so it's been an incredible blessing and something that I was, my partner was 17 years, my senior, we just lost him this past year, um, the illness and, um, incredible to be around men like him and Sammy Dunn, the people that God put in my life, you know, the three, the three men that have influenced me the most in my life have been my father, Sammy Dunn and, and Wayne Mark. And I've lost two of those. Mm. You know? So, um, so I've been the benefactor of those relationships for sure. So then there was 2008. Uh, so we, we, you know, 2008 is, is a marker for a lot of people. It is for our family too. But when you're in the construction business and, and we have this, this thing bottom out, you guys had been very successful in, in what you were doing. You did a good job. I mean, right. <laughs> us going around and doing things with the man church and stuff right now and stuff that we do to go out and get to go out and speak. My new thing is don't tell me. Uh, Myrick and Garoski built this place. Did I, I can I can spot y'all's work a lot of a lot of times, and they'll go, yeah, absolutely. Or they did this add-on or whatever. And uh, so uh, your work is very good and it's well respected. But um, when the whole economy crashes and there's no work, uh, you know, you went through the uh, the difficulty of your dad's situation, individual difficulties. Uh, I mean, none of us are exempt from difficulty. Uh, and uh, it, but but here we are again, and and you're facing really. Uh, the way you make a living is over. Uh, I mean, you went you went from we got more work than we can do. I remember talking to you to well, I'm at the office today and there's nothing. Yeah, we we were at, at our peak, I guess, is a business. We had a hundred million dollars in contracts leave in ninety days, and so <laughs> um, you know, for us, that was a lot. <laughs> and, and, and worse than that, we had a uh, we employed over a hundred people. And I, I, in my in my heart, I, I felt like this was going to be a lot deeper and longer than people were projecting. 
And so we went in, we went in really hard and made some uh, significant cuts and a lot of really, really great people for no fault of their own right. or without, without jobs, you know, and that really hurt me. That really is something really, I've really never recovered from Wayne never did either. This guy's kind of like, I never want to go back there. I'm willing to be a smaller business and do different things because I don't want to have those, those conversations anymore at that level. Uh, for people that just have worked and worked for you that you have to go there and say, hey, you know, we don't do this. So we were very, we were very fortunate. A lot of people in our industry did not survive this. And we, we survived it by God's grace. And it doesn't mean he wouldn't have been graceful if he wouldn't have survived it, but, right. he, but he chose to. And, um, but it's scar, the scar tissue doesn't go away from that. Uh, it's not anything I'm going to ever uh, forget or ever want to relive. Do you are you like us because we were talking about even on the show this week? I mean, I don't wish bad things on anybody, but I do know that because of what all of us in here have been through and what you've been through, you are able to persevere. You are able to cope. I mean, I'm not saying we don't ever have bad days. Are you concerned like we are that we're trying to exempt an entire generation of people from ever being uncomfortable, forever having something difficult? Uh, don't even have a certain. We'll make sure that the tone isn't something you don't like. What What are we doing to people? And I'm not wishing bad things on people, but that world out there does not create a safe zone for anybody. No, and I mean, I, for, I can only speak for me, me personally. Uh, I will say this: the one thing I never had to worry about was going home and my wife running running me down for not being being successful. Uh, the day we got married, she was in, and she supported me through thick and thin, through good and bad. We've never sat down. I've never had to explain my my terrible business decisions or great business decisions to her. She's just been supportive, and to not have that would be really, really hard. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think we're very good parents. I don't think we're as good. We're just not as tough as our parents were. Right. I mean, when my dad said no, it meant no. That's right. It wasn't. There was no gray area. It was just no. <laughs> no. I mean, it is. Hey, it's no. If I was grounded for eight weeks, it wasn't four weeks or four days. It wasn't after he got mad. It was eight weeks. And, and that's hard to do. It it's is. difficult to do. And today, kids leave the house with so many more uh, expenses. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, you know, just to have a cell phone and, and, and car insurance, all these things that when we left, we left. If you didn't have them, then you wouldn't call anybody. That's just not the way the modern-day parents are. And they want their kids to get there faster than they need to get there. And most great businesses take a lot of time, and I think this hurry up to get there. And I've got a, a friend of my oldest son who's 24 years old. He was in my den last week talking to me about a company that had offered him a mountain of money to run a company. He looks at me and goes, I have no idea what to do. And I said, that's because you wouldn't have any idea at 24 what to do. <laughs> yeah. okay? and, the kid, and the kid was smart to go, I can't do this. I mean, it's just, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. But we don't, we don't appreciate the struggle. We don't appreciate we act like for some reason we're doing our kids a favor by not letting them go through those things, and I can be guilty of that. It's like anybody sure, else can. Sure, we all well, can. if but, you don't, if you don't learn the little things about how to deal with a bully on the playground, or you're not picked first in dodgeball, or whatever, if you can't deal with those things, you can't deal with bigger things in high school and relationships, and then things in college and. And things in life, uh, in relationships. I mean, you have to learn the little battles to know how to cope with the big battles. And we've taken the little battles away. Right. And then, how, what do you? How do I go about losing my job? How do I go about my spouse wanting to walk out the door? I don't. I don't know. And they freak out. And, and people look yeah. at my wife and I like, well, like crazy. 
because, I mean, when I, when our son graduated college, I said, gee, you can move back home for four months, but it's $500 a month. And people just laugh like that's a joke. I'm like, no, it's, that's rent. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. That's just the way that it is. going to have to do that. And I know that we sound like, I mean, we sound like communists. I mean, it's like, we're, but, but back in the day, that's, I like, it's a pretty good deal. You got food, laundry. I mean, it's, you know, it's not a bad, it's not a bad gig. But the whole point is, it's not the money. It's the idea of, and listen, no one wants to get out faster than my kid did. Either one of my children did. But it was a point of, you're a grown man now. And you got to make grown, grown man decisions. That's just the way it's got to be. And I do that because I love you, not because I don't love you. Exactly. And that's the difficult part is that I think in extending these graces and mercies, we think we're do, doing our kids a favor. We're just not preparing them for, for what's out there. It's, it's brutal. And but the, la- the, la- yeah, the last part is what you're saying is I don't think people understand. That's not how it's going to be. Right. I mean, it, or, or do you plan on them staying with you the rest of their lives? I mean, they. Uh, we and were, that's not doing them a service. Well, we were. This, this is going to sound very, very local. You may not know this area if you're watching this or listening to it. But Bubba and I were talking about it. He saw a meteor on the same mountain today, on the way into work. But we have this this large over the mountain thing, to, and, and and where we live, we call this a mountain. It's a hill. You, you you go over this hill to get down to the other side of of part of where we live. And when the boys first started driving, Sherry's first reaction was, "Oh, don't let them go over there." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And she said, I, "I don't want them to drive over that 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 mountain. Uh, it, it doesn't have a shoulder, and it's in the." And I said, "So for the rest of their lives, they can't get to Chelsea." <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, it, 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 and she's pretty hard nosed. I mean, she's not soft by any stretch. But her first reaction was, "I want. I just don't feel good about them. What it might take to maneuver through that." Right. Uh, but if if we're afraid of that, it's we haven't done them any service because I don't think anybody would want to be married to or be under the care of a guy who can't drive over a hill. Do you? No, no and, I, and, I mean, and I'm concerned that I keep being considered hard and difficult or whatever because <clears throat> I really don't feel that it's that way at all. I mean, I, I want my my children who are, who are boys, I want my men. I mean, I, I'm trying to equip them. I, I, never, I never raised them early on in their life. I wanted to be their friend, but that was not my top priority. My top priority was to raise them to be um, – Men who loved the Lord, who respected uh, their mother, who respected me and respected others, and I and I believed in my heart that eventually we would be really good friends, and we are. But I think people work it backwards. They start trying to become buddies with their five-year-olds, and it's just not the way, no. in my view, that it's made to be. And I, I don't consider myself hard. I just consider that to be um, the biblical view of how I've, how, how how I've been taught and what I've seen work with other people too. Let's just be, let's just be common yeah, sense you about this. Yeah. You see but, people and say, well, that worked. Let's try that. But I love what you said. <laughs> if you, if you'll not try to do the friend thing when they're children, because they have friends, they're their own age. You need to be a parent. If you'll do that, you'll get to experience what really is. I enjoy when mm-hmm. they are adults Absolutely. and now you kind of talking wisdom, but then you can be more of a friend. Because we're not trying to, I don't know who said this, but it was great. You're not trying to just raise well-behaved children. You're trying to raise adults right. that can be responsible. All right, we'll come back. We'll finish up. When Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. Scott Garoski is our guest on Rick and Bubba Uni- University, the podcast. Um, so we've talked a little bit about your life, and, and there's so much more we could get into. Uh, but uh, and, and the fact what you, you do for a living. Uh, but um, you're 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 part of the show. This what's eating Scott Garoski. Um, this has started out to be a blast. Is it therapeutic for you? Do you oh, think? I love it. Yeah. Uh, the, the preparation for me is great because I mean, 
my list is so long, and I want to just go through all of them. So I'm trying to. I really am trying to hook you guys on a couple of topics to get you in there because I just got to burn. I want to get get it off my chest. So is it kind of cool being friends to a show if something's happened, you're going, tell you what, if I play my cards right, I might get a chance to really unload on this. I talked about it last night at dinner with some friends. I was in Atlanta, and I said, do you think it's bothering me now? I said, tune in next week. You get to hear the whole, you get to hear the whole, the whole thing. You, you have actually talked about, and maybe it's in the list. I think you did have it in the list, so maybe I shouldn't ask you. But you having, talking about your story and your dad's story, you have for the longest really had a passion, obviously, for the people with handicap parking, uh, the way people, I mean, there's been times you've literally, how many different altercations have you had with people over at handicap parking? Oh, I, between my dad and I, I mean, I've backed my dad on, I mean, my dad's got some great ones. So, yeah. I mean, my, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh. but there's people that will just take them up. Like it's people nobody. don't understand why they're there. Right. Okay, and the importance of them. I mean, I can promise you, if anybody wouldn't park in a handicapped spot, it would be my dad. No, no doubt about okay? that. Okay, yeah. he, he worked for me for for a while, for a long time actually, and he used to just he would travel to jobs and stay there for during the week. He's down in Mobile, and uh, someone had blocked the handicap ramp to the hotel. After he flattens all four tires, okay, <laughs> he's sitting there, and to which I say, "Hey, this is when I hear about it." Because what happened was before the person came out, uh, someone helped him get around it. To, he couldn't get to the ramp. He couldn't get up the curb. Right. So I say to him, what were you going to do when the person came out? And he said, well, I was going to whip his right. whip his A. Right, yeah. I said, do I need to remind you? <laughs> You're 65 years old, paralyzed from waist down in a wheelchair. And he looked at me like I was in here like, what difference does that make? <laughs> Why would that even play into this equation? You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, he—he's—he's. Uh, he, I've, I've learned to have a, a burn for handicap parking because it's—it's uh, so abused, like everything else in life. It's just overrun, and I've got a whole spill on it. And I'll do it in the show, but it is—it okay, is a burn. So we're, we'll have that as a we got topic. that. We got it's yeah. in there. Well, I, th- I think the point that is is when you think about the the understanding of it. What I guess bothers me we talk about this all the time we're, we're dealing with this right now about people who can mentally and physically work that won't it's different if you, if there's really something that makes it impossible or you're going through a time you need some help right. transitioning yeah. too young too old physically yeah. or mentally unable or temporarily down on your luck but i think why i think that also is a burn not just because you've seen it in your personal life is we thought we lived in a society we know it's depraved but that people would feel kind of bad Right. about doing that. You you wouldn't want to be a person who did that because you right. would feel there'd be just be some decency in you sure. that would say don't do this. Yeah, you know, there'd be a decency in you say I'm taking taxpayers' money to sit at home when people are begging people to work right now. Right. I think sometimes we underestimate the depravity of humankind. Yeah, I understand I watched a guy worked until retirement age that could not move anything below his chest. Okay. It took a lot to get up to go to work every day, just to get him to go to work every day. Yeah, he could have sat at home and said, "I'm disabled and I'm this, I'm that," and, and mm-hmm. he didn't live that life at all. No. So I have. So people say about us Gorowskis, yes, uh, <laughs> you 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 know you guys don't have a lot of sympathy, and I'm like, no, we do. We just don't find people need a lot of it. 
Don't <laughs> write that down. I mean, we are sympathetic. You just got to show us where you need some. I mean, it's just, most people just don't need it. You're just saying the, the, the standard for sympathy is very high. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You, you know when it kind of hit home to me, I guess it's when the COVID-19 thing first hit, and we didn't know what we are up against. Vaccines, no hope, no. wasn't even on the horizon. And the toilet paper shortage. You know, I, I just didn't think Americans could act as crazy as they were about toilet paper. You know, the way they were hoarding it and all that. Uh, yeah, sure. I it's mean, just, people had trucks full of it, uh, and there were nothing on the shelves. Uh, yeah, and of all the things you're going to hoard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And really, if we had just not done that, we wouldn't have had a, shor- yeah, a shortage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if everybody had just bought the regular amount they need, we'd have been fine. By the way, where where in the pandemic did we have any anything that anybody said about this new virus and I tell you one thing: there's, it's going to cause you to yeah. run out of toilet paper. <laughs> I never saw that either. That wasn't even part of the virus, really. No. Well, we didn't. I mean, at the time, we didn't know if it was going to be the Black Plague. We thought we might be locked in our house for six months. I guess I don't know. Well, it's uh, <clears throat> I thank think, goodness it wasn't that bad. Bad as it was, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, you you take a you take a pandemic and a generation of people that haven't been taught to cope, and you got yourself a weirdo. Yeah, boy, right don't you? Well, and and it, it, it trans transitions into. Uh, uh, all these years we've heard from our churches, and I'll go there. But oh, here he goes. About how, you know, boy, if I was Daniel, I'd go on line. We get <laughs> shut down by a pandemic. Right. I mean, you never heard Paul say, I was going to get in the boat. We were going you know, to go sailing for six weeks, and I was going to be shipwrecked and broke. But the pandemic broke out, so I had to stay in my hut for nine, nine months to get past that. You know, we get shut down quick. Yeah. And we've been placed in the country, in the cross where we all have, and they don't view it the same way we do. No, they don't. They view it a lot, a lot more. There's a lot more intensity to the gospel than we give it here in the U.S. And we forget that Jesus was an American. Right. You know, I've said that quite a few times. Yeah, I mean, he did not die to give me the right to vote. No, okay. No, no. And we confuse that a lot. We do. Okay. We do. A lot, and uh, it frustrates me because we get we get pushed down too easily. I think. Well, there's no question about that, and uh, and and I think that I don't want to get over theological, but there's probably you remember when you said that you were you you had to be taught that that something wasn't your identity and God loved you enough to teach you that. Right. I went through that. We've all been through that. Yeah. I think He loves the, maybe the Western Church enough to teach us a little something right now too. Well, if we pay attention to it, I mean, I just hope we're paying attention because it's uh we're not the only church out there. We're not the only people out there. We've been to countries where we see people that have been struggling, and the and the countries that seem to be doing it the best. And the, what I've seen and what our we've been a part of are the ones that struggle the most. From a Westerner's point of view, right. the ones that are the most impoverished, the ones that are most impressed, the ones where the governments are most uh, hostile. Agi- yeah, yeah, hostile or agitated at those people or where the church and seems to be doing its most powerful work. Scott Garoski, thanks for being with us. And thanks to all of you who joined us for this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. <laughs>